Bruce Reed, you ready for this episode? Yes. Let's get after it. Do you know what we're talking about? I do not. Yeah, you do. Have you heard of Oracle NetSuite? Oh, see, ringing a bell, ringing a bell. (laughs) Oracle, Oracle, it's, uh, yes, yes. Uh, (laughs) You you are funny. Uh, I do have someone I have to answer to. Uh, did you know that I do not like to be interviewed? I hate being interviewed. Yeah, it, you you, pre- you prefer to be in the driver's seat. I prefer to be in the driver's seat. I, I want to be the one asking questions. I don't think I am interviewed material because I'm dull, I'm boring, and I just I don't want to be that person. To to me, there are two people that make great public speakers, and they're the people who either want to speak or need to speak. I belong to the third category. Notice I said there are two, but I belong to the third category. (laughs) And the third category is you have to. So there's some people you don't say no to. So I do have somebody I respond to. I have to answer to. I don't always get to pick the shows I want to do, but I've been told that we have to do this show. This was in our archives. I was on a webinar, a pre-recorded webinar that then went live to their audience. It's Oracle NetSuite. And the name of the topic, the name of the topic, I think it's called Bruce Lessons Learned, What CFOs Are Reading. Would you have attended that webinar or would you have blown it off? Yeah, I would have, I think I would have attended that. Um, I would have attended that just because, you know, there's very few, I mean, your show and a few others give much give much credence to the the learning and and the reading that CFOs that financial professionals do. Well that's interesting. What what would you have paid to attend it? I, I, oh you okay, don't answer that. Don't answer that. Well by the way, we do need to say that this is CFO Bookshelf. You are Bruce Reed and I am who? Mark Dandy. And by the way, you are going to kickstart this episode coming up next. Hey Mark, uh, how did you how did you find yourself being uh, being in the hot seat versus in the driver's seat? That so is, it, I, I know. That, that, don't you love those origin stories? It, it's it's Bola Williams Ollie's fault. Uh, her people. I I like to joke when I'm working with a business. I always say, well, my people will reach out to your people. Well, Bola, she literally does have her people. Her people reached out to me. Uh, she had a book coming out. I don't even think it was out yet. And they, they sent me a media cop, copy in the olden days. In the olden days, they called it a rough cut. And I have several rough cuts that I've been able to pre-read over the, the, the past. Well, I got a media copy. And I thought, dang, this is going to be good. And then I actually had the interview. And I'm thinking... Okay, this is a, this is a, she's a leader. She has substance. So I immediately reached out to Jack McCall and said, you, you need to, you need to talk to her, find whatever event you're going to do and interview her. And then I had already been introduced to, his name is, is, is Ranga Bodla. And I love that guy. He, I would like, can you be my brother? He, he's a great guy. Great. He's like you, he has great communication skills witty, smart. He's the, he's, he's the full package. So I reached out to him. I said, you've got to find a way to get her on one of your 
events or, or webinar, whatever, podcasts. And it turns out that both of them did. And so I think it's her fault. So because of that, we've stayed in contact. And then they thought, hey, let's do this. Let's do this event together. And of course, I'm trying to weasel out of it. But that never I, I failed at it. But that's that's how that that's how this event came to be. Well, and I, I I'm sure that they're coming after you too, um, or because you I mean you do have that you, you've got the technical expertise and the knowledge behind software and the type of things that they would be talking about in systems. But you've also got the 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 leadership chops and the uh, and the management chops to you know, to put what they might be talking about and make it, you know, make it come to life for people that are in financial leadership roles. Now, because I know you personally, the way I interpreted what you just said is, Mark, you've got an opinion and it can at times be unconventional. Is that what you really meant, sir? I mean, I'd kind of like to mess with you a little bit on this, but I mean, the reality is you don't, you don't look at things. You're, you're not, there's there's really going to be something that you're thinking or the way you're going to approach something that's going to turn into one of those headlines on a on a Google thing about five lists of you know what finance leaders need to do to advance their careers. Um, there you're not you're not just you're not just putting stuff out there that's the same old stuff. I was going to say if I did, I would find my best leisure suit for the 1970s put it on and walk into the Mississippi river near Boonville, Missouri. Uh, (laughs) that that ain't happening soon. Okay. So with all that said, what'd you guys talk about? The title is a little bit misleading. And I don't know if we said this at the beginning, it, it was something to, Oh, here it is in my notes, lessons learned. What are CFOs reading a little bit misleading because there was only one question about, what do I read? And the and I, I don't want to give everything away, but I, I opened with one of the first books I read and, and it stemmed from an acquisition or actually not an acquisition, a divestiture of a business of my employer's portfolio of businesses they own. And not only did I help them to sell it, but I helped the people who, uh, bought it, get it, get a lot of credit in place. And there's a lot of other things that, that had to happen. It was actually my first CFO gig uh, back in 1993. So not, not only did I do a job for my employer, <laughs> I did a job that, that led to extra work. But anyway, it was in manufacturing. I knew nothing about manufacturing at the time. And so Stuart, great guy, Stuart Varner, and if you're listening, Stuart, love you, brother. You're the best. He said, Mark, read this book and, I, and you'll find out what it is. And it's not that that book turned me into a manufacturing guru, but it helped me to start asking some of the right questions. And I was able to assimilate what I already knew with the learnings of that book. So that's how I handled that question. But there was only one question about books. So the, the rest of the, not the rest, but a, a half the conversation was about the history, the origin story of this podcast. And then we got into one of my favorite topics I love to rant about. And that's the 
was a future or today's CFO. And <laughs> I just, I just, oh my gosh, make me go make me watch a Chicago Cubs baseball game in April when it's 22 degrees out in left center. I, that's, I hate that. It's the wrong question. It's a stupid Did you question. go off? Uh, I didn't go off. I was, I was very well behaved. Uh, I, I was tempered and I think I had a good, I, I, I had the, I think I had the right answer for that, at least for that particular question. I, I, I don't like questions. What is today's CFO? Well, it's, it's the CFO from 20, 30 years ago because every CFO I knew from the past we're doing the, we were doing the things back then that people are writing about today. It's like, I guess someone, someone made a left-hand turn and said, I want to be a stupid CFO. <laughs> I don't know when that happened, Bruce, but the best CFOs I know were what we talk about. <laughs> I just hate that question. Right. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know where that comes from either because I mean, any place I've been, the, I mean, the CFO role, wasn't just, I mean, it it wasn't just, you know, going out and getting money and closing books and things. Maybe, I mean, maybe this, maybe the startup world has, you know, has turned CFOs one dimensional. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's something along those lines, but every CFO I ever was involved in was very, was involved in, in everything. A lot, usually they had IT reporting to them. Um, so yeah, I've, I've not, I've not been exposed to that CFO. Well, I do one more time. I want to give a shout out to the person who hosted uh, this event again, Oracle NetSuite. But the person that did the the Q and A, uh, his name is Ranga Bodla, and I I just I love this guy. He he is an excellent communicator. He is someone I could just listen to. Uh, he's smart. He, he's got energy, and he does a lot of these. So this is not his first rodeo. If he had said, "Mark, I have a, a background in broadcast journalism," it's like, "Yeah, I can, I can tell. It's very obvious." So I just, again, I want to just give a shout out to him. His name does not come up during the conversation. Again, I just want to give a heads up and just a, a shout out again to Ranga, even though I did not enjoy. <laughs> This is not my this is my, not my thing, but he made it easy. He put me at ease. Is maybe what I should say. Well, and then hey, I think you've you've put a lot of people at ease along the way in the uh, in the time that you've been doing CFO Bookshelf. So uh, I think it's fair that that you uh, you got to be on the other side of that for a little bit. So let's go ahead and tee this thing up, and we'll hear from Ronga and Mark. Mark, thanks again for joining us. If you could start off by just, you know, given the normal, who you are, where you're based, uh, maybe give a little bit of intro. And, and I know that you do more than the CFO bookshelf, so maybe just give uh, give all of that to uh, to folks that are that are on today's webinar. I'll give you the abbreviated Reader's Digest version because I'm not much of a self promoter. My career goes back to KPMG P Marwick. Uh, St. Louis office, so I have accounting degree. Uh, when I left, I spent time with another Big Ten firm after that. Then I spent about 10 years in a mid-sized, privately owned uh, 
company organization. We were in the manufacturing, major automotive, retail, real estate, entertainment. And that's where I feel like I got about two to three MBAs during that time period. Uh, I finished that stint in a corporate controllership position in retail. After that, took on a couple other controllership CFO positions. And then around 2002, I became a consultant. And I've been doing that ever since. Uh, My family members joke that I'll say it's my day job. My family members will say it's also your night job and your weekend job and your holiday job. But I would, you could say I'm one of the pioneers in the part-time CFO industry because I actually did my first gig back in 1993. I helped uh, a company buy uh, a business, got their LLC set up, set up some of their back-end accounting finance uh, systems. The company's still going well today. So that's the, that's kind of the, the, the short story of me. Oh, and CFO Bookshelf is more of a labor of love. Started that in 2018, at least the, the, the website. Did some blogging, uh, did a weekly newsletter. And then around COVID time period, the podcast started. And it was supposed to just be a fun little gig. And now, Ranga, it's starting to be like a job because we may have upwards to 15, 16 people in the in our inventory uh, to be released. So it's becoming a thing. And it's like, I wish it would slow down a little bit because it's not my main thing, my work, my consulting work. But, and, and you're going to hear more about that. That's great, Mark. No, I, I, and uh, I do remember that you mentioned that this, this was not like, you know, you haven't been planning this for, for, for five years. This wasn't, you know, sort of a, as you said, a labor of love and something you, you started, but you know, you, you mentioned you kind of, you know, 2018, 2019 started the website, did some blogging. So, so yeah, just kind of give us a little bit of that background, the, uh, you know, kind of what led up to, you know, what, what even led up to the, the, the website itself and, you know, and just kind of where, where that name came from and, and what, you know, what, what drove that? I have no earthly idea what was going on. I, th- I think it was the Christmas, the holiday season of 2018, and I wanted to give myself a Christmas gift, a holiday gift. So that, okay, I'll, I'll, how about, I, you know, I, I've been reading a lot. You know, I read between 100 and 130 books a year. Uh, I do a lot of research, uh, white papers, stuff like that. So I thought it's kind of selfish to do all this reading. Why don't you share it? Now, I'm also a lazy writer because when you read a book, it's a lot of work to break that down. So I did learn quickly that, okay, it's a good idea, but this is effort. But I did stay committed to a weekly newsletter, did about 100, 100, 120 of those, and then turned it into a monthly newsletter. But really, the, the origin is it just been gnawing me that Mark, with being selfish, let's start writing about some of the topics. Because every time I recommend books, CEOs, my customers are CEOs, they're always thankful and I do work with some uh, coaching relationships, CFOs. It's like they're always thankful because I'm recommending things that are kind of peripheral to what they do. So I thought, okay, maybe there's something to this. I didn't want it to be about me because, I, again, I'm not a self-promoter. I want it to be helpful. I want to be useful. So that's kind of the, the, the origin story that I started reading back in my KPMG years. And, and I thought, okay, let's, let's start getting some of these titles out, getting them 
to the masses. And, and that's, that's what happened. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you listening. Do you like personal finance or real estate? Are you itching to build wealth and create a better life for yourself or your family? Then you need to come check out the Life, Money, and More podcast with real estate agent, YouTuber, and actor, Sage Weiss. This isn't your average finance show. We dive deep and do not sugarcoat topics around money and life. The Life, Money, and More podcast releases two episodes a week just for you because we're all about helping you win in this crazy world we live in. Come join the thousands of listeners on the Life, Money, and More podcast. And Mark, was it, you know, you said you you read avidly, you've been reading, been an avid reader for years. Uh, is, is, it, is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? Is it, you know, um, is it sci-fi? Is it mystery, history? You know, is it all the above? I, I'm uh, smiling because... I don't know if you're going to, you may find the answer amusing. I have a pea-sized brain. So, and I'm also very long in the tooth. When when I'm approached with a brand new project, uh, Kathy Colby would say, Mark is a fact finder. He's got to find his facts. He's got to, he's got to uncover everything before he starts initiating and working on his project. So uh, my books I read are nonfiction the, one of the first projects I did uh, when I left Pete Marwick is I had to sell a small manufacturing plant up in Point at Wisconsin. And I, I knew nothing about manufacturing. I, I knew squat. I, I knew nothing. I mean, Pete Marwick taught me how to audit cash, fix assets, AP. I didn't know diddly. And the team I was working with was pulled off on another project. Mark, you go do this. Well, thankfully, someone on the buying team said, Mark, read the goal. And I thought, okay. So I was doing a lot of flying, private flying back. Is that gold, gold rat? Gold rat. Remembering that yeah. right? Eli Goldrat, the goal. So on private plane trips between Missouri and Madison, Wisconsin, I, I think I got through it uh, in one round trip and I loved it. And then someone said, read the machine. Um, gosh, I can't remember the, the machine. Uh, I can't remember the title. I'm going to screw it up. But I read a couple of manufacturing books and I just thought, this is great. Now, they didn't make me experts. It wasn't a recipe how to do X, Y, Z. But I think what happened, Ranga, is every time I'd start a new project, I'd start uh, reading. Did a lot of work in M&A uh, during my first 10 years after uh, KPMG and just reading a lot of books on investing, valuation uh, from value investors' points of view. That's what helped me. So over the years, I have over tilted, over tilted toward nonfiction, business nonfiction. Now, if you were to ask me my favorite genre, it is narrative nonfiction. And that's broad. That includes memoirs, autobiographies, biographies, and then think Friday Night Lights if you're in the United States. Buzz Bissinger, he is one of the greats who put narrative nonfiction on the map. That's my favorite genre. That's my entertainment reading. It's where I get inspired. But because I'm in the consulting world, again, it's a ton of nonfiction, lots of it. Makes uh, makes a lot of sense. Well, um, and and so so, so what what drove the, you said you started at kind of this blog, website, the newsletters. 
what what was the point you said? You know what? Let's move this from the. I think you mentioned a little bit that you you know it was it was it was a lot of work to do the newsletter. But what drove your say? You know what? I'm going to move from the newsletter to a uh, a podcast. What kind of drove that that uh, that change? Now you're asking a question. I've never shared this. When I say never, a very small. There's a very small circle of people who know my background. If you actually looked on LinkedIn, I'm a very private person. But it, when I was in college many years ago. But not your Instagram. No. <laughs> Sorry. I don't even have, it's like, I don't even know what Instagram is. That's a joke. But when I was in college <laughs> many, many, many moons ago, I did work at my college newspaper. I have bylines from the index, an award-winning uh, national uh, uh, newspaper uh, in Kirksville, Missouri. I had bylines there. I worked at our student radio station. I worked, I was a sportscaster. Uh, even though I have the, these ugly looks, I was actually on TV, sports ca- campus TV in college. And I also worked in radio, a couple of gigs uh, outside of school. So I guess I'd already had that interest. I'm not saying I'm good at it. Uh, on a 10 scale, I give myself maybe a four. Uh, I get maybe a higher score for trying. So there's a little bit of that. That That's part of the answer. But I have a, a friend, and I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name of the company. Uh, it's not a competitor. They're in the healthcare space. He's a CFO. He has a great voice. But this particular CFO has a great voice. I thought, man, he'd be great. Uh, being a go- co-host. And so we were just talking. It's like, let's, let's do this. And I had created a list of 100 people uh, to interview. So we got started and he's on periodically, not as much, but it was really just, I already had the interest level, been working with his company for a number of years. So I think between my background, my interests, and then this particular CFO, it's like, let's, let's do this. And that that's kind of what propelled this. I hope that wasn't too long and drawn out. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you know, and and sometimes, you know, it's funny. Uh, my my kids, we've been we've been we were doing some car trips this summer, and we we've been listening to Harry Potter books on tape. And you know, it it's funny. There is, I I read all the Harry Potter books. I watched the movies, but you know, actually listening to the books on tape is a whole different, uh, different experience. And I, I think there is something to be said about, about the, you know, different ways of consuming information and receiving them via audio is a whole nother, a whole nother ball game. So, so I can appreciate that. And I can appreciate a good voice because the, you know, uh, it, just coming back to this Harry Potter thing, you know, it was like, the, the guy that narrates that, that book was, was, uh, was, was great. And by the way, I hope I'm not embarrassing you. And I noticed this. We've had, I think, two calls. You've got great chords. I mean, you've got some pipes, as as we say. And you sound great. And you're also a natural. So just just a tip of the cap uh, to you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Mark. And and it is uh, what's funny is I I don't actually like listening to my voice when I do recording. No one does. It's like the hardest thing. It's just I think it's just part of it. But you know, hey, that's okay. Um, well. Mark, does you know? So you you've. It sounds like you know you. It kind of you kind of stumbled into the podcast, and then and then I assume that once you kind of did that, once you're like, oh, you know what? I, I kind of like this more than the the newsletter. Is that a fair way to 
uh, why you decided to just keep keep going with it? Oh, yeah, it's easier because I read the book and I'm taking notes anyway, but it's easier for me to create. One thing I do, I think it's unique because every author I give this to an interview arc, they say, We've never, I've never seen anything like this ever. I'm thinking, huh? So I'll create these interview arcs based on what I've read, and it's just a lot easier to put that together than to write out maybe a 2,000-word blog post or a 1,000-word blog post because I'm too lazy. So again, putting together the questions, that's the fun part. you know. And I also try to ask questions that maybe they have not heard uh, before. Uh, Catherine Howe is a perfect example who co-author of Vanderbilt uh, with uh, Anderson Cooper. And it was so cool to hear her say, I've not heard that question before. So kind of getting maybe a little bit off your question, it's just easier for me to, after I read it, I can kind of step back. What's really the the thread we should cover? And then I have to remember there are people who have not read the book yet. So we got to include some things in the arc that give us, here's the main topic. I just find that easier than, again, writing a long blog post. Makes uh, makes sense. You know, sometimes it's easier to listen. You can do that while you're right. doing lots of other things. So, um, well, so let's let's talk about some of your favorite favorite stories, uh, Mark. Like, what what's been your what would you say is the biggest insight you you or maybe even the biggest surprise since starting the show? We'll be right back. Are you interested in small businesses? My name is David C. Barnett, and I've been podcasting and producing YouTube videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses for almost 10 years. I'm a former business broker and have owned and operated several businesses, and I've been advising business owners since the 1990s. Each week, I create a new podcast which answers one of your questions, and I've always got amazing, exciting guests. You can find me on YouTube by going to smallbusinessanddealmakingpodcast.com or just search David Barnett's Small Business in any podcasting app to find me. I look forward to seeing you around. You do know when someone says that's a good question, they're stalling. And and here's, of course. here's the thing. <laughs> I knew this question was going to be asked, or at least I think I knew and I'm still struggling, but I just let me say answer in a way that makes other people uh, look good. And in the very beginning, I was a nobody. I still am. I mean, if you look at my Twitter, if, if I mean, I even on LinkedIn, I may have a couple thousand followers, but I'm still a nobody. And in a way, I'm kind of okay with that. So here I am, reaching out to. This, this author named Liz Wiseman. Now, I'm an idiot. I did not know. I never pieced together that she was the author of Multipliers, which I think has sold a million plus copies. So here I am, this green idiot. I reached out to her. She says, yes, because the show was on Rookie Smarts. But here is what was so cool about Liz. <sighs> After the interview, again, I'm a nobody. She's famous. She's been all, she's, she's, she, I mean, she, people know her name in her space. She spent 20 minutes after the call, just talking to me. And I just thought, Liz, you're busy as your, as your unsolicited uh, chief executive of something. You don't have time to be talking to Podunk Mark from Hicksville, Missouri. 
But Liz is not the only person like that. Uh, Paul Downs, who wrote uh, a great, great book, he spent an hour just chatting with me, learning more. So I can name author after author after author who wanted to just, hey, we're done, let's chat. And that is, I would have never have guessed that. I thought, we're done recording. Thank you. Good luck with your rest of your life. And some of these people I've stayed in touch with. So that is, Ranga, that, that has been very special and important to me. So, so I, 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 can't, I, don't, I can't fathom it that they'd want to just spend that much time for someone they don't know from Adam. I mean, it, it's, it's special. How much of that do you think is just the, na- the notion or the nature of, hey, this is a person that's obviously interested in the conversation I have, but it's also like that so much of what they're interacting with on a daily basis, it's their daily work. Whereas, you know, they don't, they don't have a chance to have a conversation with somebody that is interested in what they have to say, but isn't necessarily employed by them or, you know, related to what the work that they do. How much do you think of, of that is there? And, you know, is part of that. That is a very perceptive question. I, I think you're spot on. I again, I don't like to talk about myself, but when I get onto when I latch onto a topic and love it, it's so easy for me to get passionate about a, a story or something within a book or an author, and I think they can tell that quickly. And I don't know if it's infectious. I, I think they sense that and that, that you picked up on that. That's very insightful on your part. Well, and I, I wonder, you know, that we, we labeled this webinar lessons learned. And I, I think one thing that at least I've learned, and I've learned from talking to you, talking to Jack, to Bola, is CFOs get better by, by it, they, they, they're not just by talking. They've got, a, they're also listening and, that notion of listening and learning is a is a big part of of what makes a good CFO a good CFO, and uh, and so I I think there is to me that was one of the first lessons I learned, you know, just from from having the conversations with you is just that that nature of of those conversations and you know continual learning is a is a is a big part of it. Good point. Very good point. Agree. What? Um, so so. You know, you, you may you may have to stall on this one, but you know, you you've had a lot of you, like you said, you've had a lot of really interesting folks on. Um, you know, span various, you know, I, um, all all varying levels. Um, what's been your? Who's been one of your favorite guests? So you're asking a father who has children, and, <laughs> and so this is like picking your favorite kid. I did write a few down because again, I knew this question was coming. And I got goosebumps. He's in his 80s, but the movie Top Gun just came out, right? Now, I haven't watched it yet. I I want to see it. Well, one of the original Top Gun instructors was a guy named Captain Charlie Plum. And Captain Charlie Plum, when he was in Vietnam, he had flown 70-plus missions the last day. He was going to go home. Last day, last mission, he gets shot down. And he's in a POW, prison of war camp, for I think the next five or six years. And then he gets out, 
writes a, a book, speaks all around the globe. His name is Captain Charlie Plum. That may be, and I've known his story for about 30 years. He came and spoke in the small town of uh, Morbilly, Missouri. And for any global uh, listeners, that's right in almost right smack dab in the middle of the United States. Uh, I've known his story and just to get to talk to him. I mean, we, he, here's another guy who took his time. We talked for about 45 minutes. That that show was special. Charles Coonrat. Uh, again, I've been a, I've been consulting for almost, well, actually 20 years. And I do really like the open book space. I hate the term open book management. I can't stand the word management, but I love the concept of open book. And Charles Coonrat has been kind of a backdoor, not a backdoor, that's not a good word, but he's been kind of one of those long distance mentors in this space. Well, he's retired and, and he wrote the book, The Game of Work. He's considered the grandfather of gamification. And man, just to get to interview him, Rongo is special. There was once during the interview, he actually teared up as he's talking about some stories from his past. Uh, Guy Spear, I, I love reading value investing books. And Guy Spear is one of my favorite writers. He, he's the, the education of a value investor. Uh, he's over abroad. And I thought, man, this guy's busy. I thought I'd be lucky to get 20 minutes. We talked for two plus hours. So I had to break it up into two shows. I loved uh, that show. Uh, Gosh, I could just go on. Uh, Peter Lynch has a website called A Simple Model. In my opinion, Peter should be on TV. I I mean, the dude's got the looks. He's got a great voice. He is a phenomenal writer. And, and I was pleased just to, and so we've stayed in touch. He'll probably be on the show again. Uh, I could go on and on. Aaron Beam uh, was a CFO who went to prison, uh, Health South, and uh, now he, he's been out of prison for years and wrote a book. I enjoyed that interview. I'll say one more. Um, in the consulting space, just about every consultant knows uh, John Boyd and the OODA loop. So getting to interview Robert Corum, who's in his 80s. That was early on. That that meant a lot uh, to me. So uh, if I'm rambling, please forgive me. Uh, but not, not, I, I could name more, but let's just stop there. Any, uh, what about, what about uh, flops? Because, you know, that's, that's, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they weren't all like, and, and I'll, I'll tell you one, one thing, Mark, we clearly aren't going to have, we don't have this issue, but you know, I, I've done a number of customer interviews and I'll tell you the hardest ones when you ask a question and you kind of are hoping to have a dialogue and all you get back is like, yes, no, you can't, you can't build on that. And so, so what, what's been your flops? What's been, uh, what's, what's your, what's your flops? I got you beat. I got you beat. So you heard me say, I, I provide a one page interview arc. I'll, after this, I'll even email you once so you can see what they look like. And my concern sometimes is that some people like them too much because I'm thinking, do not prepare. I'm one of those people who, who, because I understand the concept of being interviewed, be spontaneous, but I don't want to be throwing curveballs. So golden rule, here's my interview arc. So there's no curveballs. Well, there's a guy who has an engineering background and you're smiling. I, you're, it's like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? 
So I sent him my interview arc and I knew this was, could be a problem. He interviewed, he came back and said, Mark, if we only do this for 50 minutes, that's about four and a half minutes per block on this. And I'm thinking, crap. Oh, sorry. I hope, hope you don't have to exit out. Uh, I'm thinking this, this, this could not be good. I don't want it to be exactly. And plus I don't do everything in the interview arc. Some stuff doesn't even get brought up. So we do the interview and dang it, I could tell he's reading his answers. It's like, no. And, and the podcast gods were with me. The quality was awful. I don't know what happens on my, I, I, I use really nice equipment. For some reason, there's this hiss. I couldn't get it out. Uh, I use a producer sometimes. They couldn't get it out. So I had to call them back. I apologize. We have to, we have to do this over. But I was bold. I said, you read your answers. You are like one of the godfathers in this space. Now, now see, I can't tell you who it is now because because he's famous in his space. I just said, pretend like we're having coffee in downtown. I mean, you know what we're going to talk about. Well, it turns out that was a home run. And hit for the longest time, his show was like in the top five throughout our first 80 or 90 shows. And I think what's happening, are, we're getting some really neat authors. He's dropped out, but he's still, but that was the worst. I, I almost cried. I just thought he's reading. This is, I can't work with this. And uh, so th- did, did I beat you? Is, is, is that better than the yes, no, yes, no? Uh, that, well, it's definitely, well, so, so the, at least the one benefit you had is you weren't live, right? So, I mean, that's the. That's I've had the, the, well, and it shows you the value of, you got to make sure you do a dry run because man, you you know, if you don't do a dry run, you you know, and if I had done a dry run, this is years ago now, but if I had done a dry run, I would have known, you know what? Hey, this guy's this actually, I think it was a gal. Uh, I'm not positive, but it was whoever it was. I just remember it was like, Oh man, you know, I should have done a dry run. I should have done the dry run, but, um, Hey, lessons learned. Always make sure you have a rehearsal call. Doesn't have to be perfect, but at least you know, right? You can have the conversation. Um, well, you know, Mark, the the you know, kind of just continuing down into this. I mean, you've done now, you've done over a hundred shows. Um, you know, you've been doing this now for for almost is it three years, four years? How, how many how many years? I think we're in our podcast. So we're we're about to finish our hundred. 120th show. So we're, we're in year three. Year okay. Three. And, and, you know, when you, so, so how do you figure out who, you know, who's going to be on, you know, and, and how do you prioritize that, you know, in terms of, you know, do you, do you, you know, you mentioned you got a bunch that are kind of waiting to go live. Like, how do you, how do you manage that? Do you change it up? And do you, you know, d- does it change based on the news of the day or, you know, if I tell you, you'll be disappointed. It's all over the place. It, it, I think it gets down to what am I finding interesting? Sometimes, well, I would say most of the time, it's a book that I've read and I'm thinking, this is good material. This is going to sound good on a show. And by the way, we, we have marketing people listening. We, we have, uh, I think we have accountants listen. Uh, I do get a lot of, I think I get most of my responses from CEOs. So I know I'm doing something right. So it's just something I've read that I really, really like. You you said something about the news 
I do need to look at, well, I need to add some finance stuff periodically. <laughs> so, um, and, and I know we'll get into this, but I do try to make sure there's a finance oriented show. Uh, for example, we're going to be doing something on, on WorldCom. It's, I think it's the 20th anniversary of them going uh, bankrupt. So I got an interesting guest on one of my all time uh, favorite books and it's very accounting internal audit centric, but again, the great question. It's just, what am I reading? Since I do read widely, it's like, okay, I want to, I want to talk to them. I want to talk to them. And a lot of these people say, yes, my hit rate is about 82, 83% of, of authors saying yes. So not everyone says, but I'm also not asking uh, the Jim Collins of the world or, or the James Clear. I, I, I don't, they're not on uh, Dan Pink. Maybe, but he's not in that list either. So when I say my hit rate is 80 plus percent, it's because I'm generally picking people who are going to say yes. Makes uh, makes sense. And do you, um, uh, you mentioned, you know, you're, you, you work with a lot of CEOs, which is, which is great. Do you ever get somebody that says, hey, Mark, they, they know that you do this, that, you know, the, you know they might have heard your, your show. Do you ever get someone say, Mark, I don't have time to read this. Do you mind reading this? See, I think it might be good for your show. Like, does that ever come up in your, in your, in your travels? That has never come up. And one of my rules is you're not going to be a client of mine if you're not a lifelong learner. So I will sometimes come across a CEO who doesn't read. And I get that. I'm complete. In fact, I, I used to recommend you need to be a reader. I don't do that anymore. And that's, that's a different topic that would take long to, to unpack. But what I will do is you've got to listen to this. So currently I have about a, a dozen or so CEOs that they're busy and I will tell them, listen to this episode. You're going to love it. And I've had CEOs and go on to read, not read it, but listen to the audible. Well, whoops, that, that was a, that was a slip. They'll listen to an audio <laughs> version of the book. So yeah, I, I, I have a high sense of awareness of, of people who don't have time to read. So if, if there's somebody on the show that is going to be good material that I think is worth listening to, I'll tell them you might listen to the show or listen to the show and then, then the audio book as well. Makes, uh, makes sense. You know, so, so I, I want to, I'm going to switch gears on you and, you know, talk a little bit more about CFOs because you work with CEOs. This is the CFO bookshelf. You've got, you know, you were, like you said, I think you're, um, you, you, you you've been doing part-time CFO before part-time CFO was, was, was a thing even before people really even talked about that. You know, the, if you think about that, you mentioned what ninety three. I mean, you know, just thinking about how much the CFO's role has changed. You know what? Uh, well, let me just start there. You know, the CFO's role has changed in in not you know just even the last five years. It's changed. You know, kind of just what's your you know just when first I asked that comment. Just you know, if you can comment on that, you know how how you. How you think the, the you know what you've learned you know from the CFO bookshelf is as you know has helped guide that conversation? This is a it's not a tricky question. I think it's a tricky answer. Granted, I am not a journalist. I am not a professional 
business anthropologists. So I don't know all the facts. I just have opinions and some of them are very strong. When I tell you I'm an old school financial leader and I don't care if it's CFO, uh, I've had, I, I've, I've most proud looking back, I'm most proud of my controllership work. And I would have people today say, Oh, but that sounds like you're a CFO. So I, I really don't care about the title, but being old school controller, old school financial, I used to be a VP of finance. I'm very old school. What does that mean, old school? And the answer is going to surprise you. And I think this is more uh, typical, more prevalent in mid-market. Old school means we did everything. My first accounting position, I start out with 23, uh, 27, 20 people in my department. And it grew to about 40. I think I... I have a picture. There are 39 people, not counting myself. So I'd be 40 uh, before when I left. I didn't do a. I did not do journal entries, and I spent maybe more than 50 percent of my time outside of. I had a whole floor of and uh, a, a building, a whole floor of my personnel, and I was not in that on that floor that often. I could tell you a lot about operations, logistics. Uh, buying product, uh, other CFO positions. Because I have a liberal arts background, I love, love, love marketing. I love PR. Uh, You put me in a B2B sales organization, I feel at home. So when I say old school, operations, marketing, sales operations, customer support, to me, that's old school. You're doing everything. When I was an auditor, I did a lot of mid-market companies, those controllers knew almost more about the businesses than their CEOs. So when I hear this question and when I hear see headlines that see CFOs need to be doing this, this, and this, I'm scratching my head thinking, but we were doing that 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So I have an opinion. I have an opinion. And I may be wrong, Ranga. You're not going to insult me if you say I think you're off track. I think there's more mid-market firms that have been able to grow fast than, say, maybe in the 70s and 80s. 60s, 70s, there's a lot of just stagnant growth. And the mid-market firms, while they existed, I think there are more of them. And I think technologies played a role in that. But what happens in those fast-growth companies? You have CEOs. And they're having to hire new personnel, which includes CFOs, VPs of finance. I hate to say this, and I serve them for a living. They don't always hire the right people in those spots. They may hire a CFO, a financial leader that's not ready. So I, I think one of the issues when you ask that question is how has it evolved? I think it's because you've got CEOs who don't truly understand what that role should be. So Again, I come from the school where we did a lot. We knew everything. I mean, we knew a lot about that underlying business. And so for me, nothing's really changed. I mean, we have to keep up with technology, right? Uh, but I, I don't, I, again, some of these headlines, and, and I'm not going to mention the publications, but I just wonder, are you trying to get a good headline? Because I can name a lot of CFOs today who they know as much about their organizations as the CEOs and COOs 
in those organizations. Was that an answer you maybe were not expecting? It, it, it is actually, but it actually it's. And I don't think you're wrong, um, Mark. I, actually, I think it's a it's a fascinating angle uh, that I hadn't I hadn't thought of, which is you are seeing growth. I mean, we are we see growth in the mid market. Mid market organizations are growing um, much more so than say their there's more intelligent growth. Um, how do I say this? Th- say this nicely. There's, there is, there's like legitimate growth. It's not just stock buybacks, right? You know, it's, it's actual growth that's happening in these organizations. They're, they're going in new territories. They're, they're going into new businesses. And it's that that's actually driving the demand for an experienced finance professional. That, that, that's an interest. It was not the answer I would have thought of, but it's a pretty interesting answer. It, it is. It's that there's more demand for smart finance folks that can that can be strategic, um, you know, as opposed to you know these large enterprises that might have somebody that you know is growing into the CFO. That's a it's a, it's a very interesting angle uh, for sure that I hadn't thought of, but uh, but I think it's it is definitely um, uh, it's definitely correct. Maybe let me ask it a different way then. Um, you know, to your point, you know, you've said, you know, the things you 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 talk to and you do as a CFO today that you might, you know, you you you've been doing these for years. Like in the C- smart CFOs you talk to, they're they've been all been doing this for years. They they know all these things. What should a uh, what should a CFO not be doing? Um, you know, because it's always like the the, it, the I always hear the the thing. It's it's not what you're saying yes to. It's what you're saying no to. What should a CFO be saying? What should some of these, these CFOs be saying no to? What should they be um, not doing? We'll be right back. Have you ever heard a new digital trend and thought to yourself, okay, does this really matter? Asking the right questions helps you cut through the noise and get down to what matters most. I'm Jim Hertzfeld, host of the What If So What podcast, where we discover what's possible with digital and figure out how to make it real by asking what if, so what, and most importantly, now what? Subscribe and listen, and together we can turn big ideas into tangible actions so you can get shit done. I, I love your question. I, I just spoke to an attorney who wrote the book Negotiation Simplified, and there's a section called The, the Question is the Answer. That is a excellent a question. Again, this is opinion. If you open up the book, The Effective Executive, by Peter Drucker. And this is what, now everyone, when I say everyone, that's an exaggeration. No one reads the introduction. People just get right to the first chapter. Well, I'm one of those idiots who does read the front matter. I read the back matter. And in the introduction of Peter Drucker's book, he talked, there's seven bullet points of what does an effective executive uh, do. And bullet point number one is they know what needs to be done. Now, you've just asked the question what they shouldn't do, but I'm going to assume you are talking just you are talking to the cream of the crop. I mean, I mean, look, your email has Oracle.com on it. So you're talking to some outstanding uh, professionals around the globe. And I really, truly believe that CFOs, financial leaders, corporate controllers, they know inherently what needs to be done. I would just say stay away from the things that's not going to move the needle the most. And that's an easy 
cheap way out to that. But I still believe the effective executive and CFOs or executives, CAOs or executives, uh, even seen any type of a controller is an executive. They know what needs to be done. Now, I have a part two of the answer, but I'll stop there. Was that was that an easy way out? The way I answered that, it's an easy way out. Why, let's 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 go to let's go to part two. I'm I'm, I'm curious where you're going to go with this. Well, again, I had of course this is cheating. I, I got to see some of these questions in advance, and I was just kind of mulling them over. But if I were interviewing a CFO or a controller of any size, I would just start out asking, "What's one of the biggest?" accomplishments that you have, what's a big problem you've helped to solve where you were either ramrodding the, the, the solution or came up with it. And then hopefully I'd get an answer. And then I would ask the same question, but name someone else who solved a big problem. That's not you, you know, someone else. And by the way, you don't have to use the word problem. It could be innovation or something similar. And then I would ask the question, and, and I, I could ask this question first, but I wanted to, let's get a warm-up here. Let's warm them up a little bit with the first two questions. What big problem needs to be solved right now? And I think that's going to help to determine that answer. It's going to help to determine what I don't need to be doing. You know, I think this is some of the day-to-day work hopefully you've got a good enough well-rounded staff to where you don't need to be so hot and heavy into the day-to-day operations. So what is it that needs to be done now? More than likely, they're going to be on a senior leadership team or management team. So part of the answer is going to be already provided for them. But if the leadership team is weak or not that evolved, young, then I, I look at what is the most important thing that needs to be done today. That that question right now that needs to be answered is, is labor, uh, supply chain. There are probably some other hot 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 points. Uh, inflation is a big issue uh, right now. So those are some big issues that need to be answered in their respective uh, industries and their companies. So I still think what needs to be done. Just reread that short list in the effective executive by Peter Drucker. The, you know, well, so, so where I was, where one of the other things that comes to mind for, for me, you know, when obviously I'm, I'm biased given, given I'm, I work at a, at a technology company, but so often the, the thing that we can help take away, take off of a, a an executive's plate um, is some of the manual work that's done in terms of finance. Like we can help in terms of that financial automation, things like that, you know, but you, you know, as you know, like there's the amount of technology that exists for a finance executive today versus what was there five, 10, 15 years ago has, has significantly evolved. How do you advise, maybe not even just CFOs, but you know, I mean, the CEOs you talk to, how do you advise and, and even yourself as a, as a part-time CFO? You know, how do you manage all these different technologies that are out there? There's AI, there's machine learning, there's RPA, there's there's ERP, there's cloud. Like, you know, wh- how do you how do you help a uh, you know the executives you talk to manage the, the the acronym soup out there of of technologies and and how do you help them focus of of you know to to focus on the right ones? Okay, I'm stalling again. Uh, the 
I'm sure I, I think you've interviewed Glenn Hopper. He'd he'd be perfect at this. He 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 could probably talk for like three hours, right? Um as I look at the industries I'm in, let's just take e-commerce. I, I need an example so I don't get into this big abstraction. One of the big issues with, with e-commerce, and you can relate to this with with with, with your uh, Toolset NetSuite, which by the way is incredible. It's it's my on my short list of like one or two. The reason I recommend I'm I have to be software agnostic, but I always say you want to look at NetSuite first as you start thinking about your ERP solution. And I'm not saying that just because we're talking. I mean, plus I'm not paid to say this. It's the truth. But let's take e-commerce as an example. The the biggest issue with new e-commerce, $25 million and under, that's still using the 800-pound gorilla that has a green color on it, which, by the way, it's it's frustrating uh, as companies start growing. Yeah, you might have a third-party inventory management system. Now you're managing two systems. And there comes a point, it's like, do you really want to scale? Do you want to get big? And I kid you not. I can tell them, go listen to the interview I did with Steve Cakebread. And Steve was one of the people who helped take Salesforce public. It's a great story. They made the decision in the very beginning. And I could be wrong. Did they go with an Oracle solution? I think they did. And the leadership team had the foresight that we know we're going to get big. Let's have the technology behind it. So, the nice thing about me is when I come in, I, by the way, I usually know nothing about these industries I'm working in. So now I can start asking the questions, why are we doing this? Why is this such a convoluted process? I think with just me asking and then pointing out, here's what some of your competitors are doing. Uh, do you want to be a lot behind? So that's the way I approach it is once I get involved and just and we start looking at some of these post-it notes, you see how we're going from here to here. We're trying to pull data from multiple sources. So for me, it's a little bit easier because it's like, here's where you are now. This is probably what it's going to look like uh, on the other side of the fence if you do this type of uh, implementation. That's a great, that's, that's, that's helpful context, uh, Mark, and I appreciate the, uh, the context on that. We are, you know, we're starting to, to approach, you know, believe it or not, you, you know, we, 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 we've been, we're, we're getting close to the, to, uh, to our time. And, and, and so I do, I want to ask kind of two other real topics here as we wrap up, which is, you know, we started off and you, you go through a lot of topics. You got a lot of session, you got a lot of, of, of shows still to come out that you've already recorded. Um, What's next? What's, uh, you know, what, what are you, you know, what are you reading? What are you reading right now? Um, and, uh, and, and what are you, um, what are you, you know, what are the topic areas that you want to dig into further that you, uh, you know, just kind of got you that, that are, that are top of mind for you. Again, my favorite books, I, I tend to oscillate more toward biographies, autobiographies. What am I reading uh, right now, uh, I'm a little bit weird. Sometimes I'll read a book twice uh, as I'm prepping for an interview. I'm really thrilled and honored to get to talk to Mary Childs, who's a uh, Planet Money, uh, and she wrote the book. Bond, oh yeah, Bond King. So she's we're we're talking next Monday, and even though we have a a, a deep inventory, <laughs> because it's Mary, we will 
have that show go immediately. Uh, I love turnaround work. In fact, if I could stop all the work I'm doing, except for the show, I, I do nothing but turnaround work. And so I, one of my favorite books this year is, is uh, Built to Fail, which is a story about Blockbuster. And, and the guy who wrote it is in the Netflix documentary called The Last Blockbuster. So I do like, I like stories that involve turnaround or failures. And so there's a book called The, the Lost Signal that I read actually a couple of years ago. I'm rereading it. And the author of The Lost Signal is going to be uh, beyond. So over the next 16 uh, weeks or so, we do have quite a few biographers uh, on. We have a few people one of the angles I'm taking more towards the finance side is I'm starting to look a bit harder towards people who've written really good magazine article articles, say like at uh, HBR and some other publications, uh, even um, uh, McKinsey. And I, I now have an in with McKinsey with one of the authors that I got to interview earlier this year. So on tap, again, it's just going to be a lot of uh, a lot of similar to what we may be seen for people who listen we call our show, or I do, it, it's it's the Google, the Google Talks for financial and business leaders. So you'll never hear me say you need to have, you need to be, to be thinking broadly, uh, you need to be thinking widely. I just assume you want to because talks at Google, how many people in there are all techies, uh, uh, data experts, coders? They're hearing all types of topics, and so. It's just going to be more of that going forward in the show. That's awesome. I uh, I appreciate that 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 context, uh, Mark. And you know, it's funny. People do think it's weird when people reread books, but people I, I like people rewatch movies all the time. They people rewatch uh, TV shows. So you know, I don't necessarily think it's that weird to uh, to reread a book. Uh, maybe it's just that it's uh, it's it's such a you could be a lot more time consuming. So, so I guess the notion of reading a book uh, again uh, is a lot different than, than watching a movie over again. But, you know, given how many times I've seen the Lego movie, I don't know if I, that, uh, that really, um, uh, and that, that wasn't for myself to be clear. That was, uh, I understood. Uh, you know, for, for my daughter as she was growing up, I think, I think I, I've easily seen that movie at least 50 times, but um Mark, I, I, uh, I really appreciate um, the conversation today. Um, I appreciate kind of the, the, the dialogue, you know, I feel like from the first time that uh, we chatted to, uh, to now our, our conversations are not, are not, uh, are not difficult. There's plenty of, uh, plenty to continue and plenty to have on dialogue. Um, you know, for those that are listening, you know, if you, if you've not really, if you're not on the CFO bookshelf, you know, and you want to, want to learn more, there's a lot of great books, um, out there. In fact, most of the folks that we've had, CFO authors that we've had featured here at NetSuite, uh, including Glenn Hopper's book that Mark mentioned, Jack McCullough's book, uh, you know, a number of those, uh, actually Bola williams Ollie's as well. You know, we, um, all of those have been authors that uh, Mark has featured. So um, we, uh, we're looking forward to, uh, to having some of the, more of those authors on, uh, on one of these topics in the future. But Mark, thank you again. For, uh, for spending time with us today. And uh, for those of you who are listening, be well. And uh, you know, we'll look forward to talking to you in the future. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf. Lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host. 
Mark Gandy. Ranga Bola of NetSuite, thank you very much. I really hate it when a book title slips my mind. The book that I could not remember near the outset, it's the one that I read after the goal. It's the machine that changed the world. Excellent. May I ask a favor? If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen. It means a lot. And also, thank you for those kind comments on LinkedIn. I also want to thank my friend Bruce Reed, who is also my favorite CFO, for teeing this up. And by the way, he won't mind either if you want to connect to him on LinkedIn. We need to call this a wrap. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf.